Welcome to the LA Public Health Podcast for Wednesday, June 17th, 2020. I'm Steve Baldwin, and today's show includes comments from LA County Board of Supervisors Chair Pro Tem Hilda Solis, followed by an update on COVID-19 led by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, Director of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and as a reminder, be sure to subscribe to our show and leave us a review in your podcast app. You can follow our department across all social media, including Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at LA Public Health. And now, Supervisor Solis. Thank you so much. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Hildale Solis, Chair Pro Tem of Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors, and I want to thank you for joining us on today's daily press briefing. Uh, in the last several weeks, as you know, we've seen an uprising, an uprising that calls for necessary investment and lasting change because black lives matter. And I know this up, uprising will be sustained and translate into many reforms. And I want to thank the thousands of young people and so many others across the country for leading these protests. And from what I've seen, the vast majority of protesters are wearing face coverings. But please keep a physical distance when you're out and about. To see the great change that you're calling for and that is long overdue, we need everyone to continue doing their part to slow the spread of COVID-19, which has not become any less dangerous. These issues of racial injustice are intertwined with the issue of food security and economic justice. And the COVID-19 crisis has resulted in widespread food insecurity that is not going away anytime soon, unfortunately. That's why the county has provided significant funding to the LA Regional Food Bank to offer food distributions across the county. And we've informed lasting partnerships with our partners like CEELA to support local farmers and provide healthy food to residents. We have also launched the Great Plates Delivered program in partnership with the state and federal government to achieve basically two goals. Provide three home delivered meals per day to qualifying older adults 65 and up and adults 60 to 64 who are at high risk of COVID-19. And secondly, to stimulate the economy by bringing back work employees from the restaurant and hospitality industries and transportation industry. Our LA County Department of Workforce Development and Aging and Community Services, known as WEDAX, has been working with the Board of Supervisors, the CEO, and our partners to get this program rolled out as soon as possible. The state and federal governments have several requirements that applicants must meet in order to participate in the program. However, we will never ask applicants about their immigration or citizenship status. And I'm pleased to be able to report that over 140,000 meals have been delivered over the course of the last month or so to 2,000 clients so far in this Great Plates program. But as you know, the need is greater and we continue to provide services. We'd like to encourage you to please go on weedax.lacounty.gov slash greaterplates or simply call 211 to sign up for this program. I also want to briefly mention today, because today is a significant day, it's National Census Day of Action. To commemorate the day, there are caravans and census car parades that are being planned and happening throughout the County of Los Angeles to spread awareness and remind people to get counted. 
We must encourage our families and our neighbors, our friends to participate in the census. And did you know that back in 2010, there was an estimated 440,000 residents identified that the Census Bureau had no idea about? Those undercounted residents accounted for almost $115 million annually in federal funding. In a county as large as ours, with more than 10 million residents, it's essential that everyone be counted. We especially want to ensure that our residents in hard-to-survey communities and non-traditional residences are counted. Funding for health care, emergency response programs, and other critical services are dependent on the census count. That's why I urge you to complete the census and do it today. Please go now to www.my2020census.gov or simply call 1-844-330-2020 to complete your census form. It takes less than 10 minutes and can be completed safely from your home. Now I have the great pleasure of introducing Dr. Barbara Ferrer, our Public Health Director. Uh, good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much, Supervisor Solis, and to the entire Board of Supervisors. I feel very lucky to have your leadership uh, here in the county throughout the pandemic, and especially during our recovery journey. Uh, to update you today on our current status, I'm sad to report 34 additional people have died from COVID-19. 23 of the people who passed away are over the age of 65, and 17 people over the age of 65 who passed away had underlying health conditions. Seven people who died are between the ages of 41 and 65, and four people in this age group had underlying health conditions. Two of the people who died were between the ages of 18 and 40, and both uh, of these people who passed away had underlying health conditions. The information on the one death reported by the city of Long Beach and the one death reported by the city of Pasadena are available at longbeach.gov and cityofpasadena.net. Of the 32 newly reported deaths today, excluding those that are reported by Long Beach and Pasadena, 14 were among people who were residing in a skilled nursing facility. This does bring our total number of deaths to 2,991. Our hearts go out to the many people who have lost uh, folks that they loved to COVID-19. You're in our thoughts and our prayers every day, and we're so sorry for your loss. For the 2,779 people who passed away where race, ethnicity has been identified, 42% are Latino, Latinx, 29% are white, 17% are Asian, 11% are African American, less than 1% are uh, Native Hawaiian or Pacific Islander, and 1% identified with another race or ethnicity. 93% of the people who passed away from COVID-19 did have underlying health conditions, and this number has stayed consistent throughout the pandemic. Today, we're reporting 2,129 new cases. A portion of this large increase is due to a large backlog of about 600 uh, test results being reported to us by one lab. As a reminder to the labs, it is really important that you report all testing results to the Department of Public Health in a timely manner. This does bring the number of people who have tested positive for COVID-19 in LA County to 77,198. The 79, sorry, 77,189 total cases we're reporting 
include 2,700 2,712 total cases reported by the City of Long Beach and 1,058 total cases reported by the City of Pasadena. We're also reporting among the positive cases, 520 confirmed cases are among people experiencing homelessness. 220 people who were sheltered uh, were appropriately isolated and their close contacts were quarantined. Uh, there are currently 1,420 people who have a confirmed case of COVID-19 and are hospitalized. 28% of the people who are hospitalized are in the ICU, and 22% of the people hospitalized are on ventilators. We have investigated a total of 642 residential congregate settings and non-residential settings with at least one confirmed or suspect case of COVID-19. Currently, we're investigating uh, 517 institutions. We've closed investigations at 125 institutions. Closed investigations means that there are no current cases and there have been no new cases for the past 14 days. The settings, the institutional settings include nursing homes, assisted living facilities, shelters, treatment centers, supportive living, correctional facilities, workplaces, food and retail, and educational settings. And the total number of confirmed cases across institutional settings is 16,921. This includes 10,838 residents and 6,083 staff. Uh, this does amount to 22% of all of our cases. We are sad to report that 1,576 people who were living in institutional settings have died from COVID-19. 1,437 of the people who lived in institutional settings and passed away resided in skilled nursing facilities. To the families and the friends of the people who lived in these facilities and passed away from COVID-19, please, ex please accept our heartfelt sympathy. We're also reporting 1,046 confirmed cases at some point in the jail facilities. There are 774 among people who are incarcerated as reported by the Sheriff's Department and 272 staff. There's 178 cases in the state prison, 128 among people who are incarcerated, and 50 among staff. And there's 759 cases in the federal prison facilities. 744 among people who are incarcerated and 15 among staff. There are 33 cases in the juvenile facilities, 15 among youth and 18 among staff. And you can find information on confirmed and suspect cases in these facilities, as well as our dashboard on our uh, public health department, uh, public health uh, website, publichealth.lacounty.gov. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department is reporting 343 positive cases among staff, 264 staff are quarantined, and 1,866 staff have returned to work. The LA County Fire Department is reporting that 599 staff members have now been tested for COVID-19. Of those, 36 tested positive, 12 are isolated at home, 31 have returned to work, and five are homesick. And I want to thank uh, Sheriff Villanueva and Chief Osby for sharing these updates every day. 
Over 853,000 COVID-19 test results for individuals have been reported to LA County's Department of Public Health. And again, uh, we remain at 8% of people being tested are positive. Uh, there are still appointments that are available at the regional testing sites, so please, if you need to be tested, go online to covid19.lacounty.gov slash testing, uh, and you can make an appointment and find a site near you uh, when you go online. I do have an update today about the work that's happening uh, in skilled nursing facilities. Uh, testing of all residents and staff has been completed at all 315 skilled nursing facilities in LA County, not including facilities in Long Beach and in Pasadena. This includes facilities that have had outbreaks and facilities that have not yet had outbreaks. And I wanna thank the teams of folks that have been helping out with this testing, including the staff at the Department of Public Health, the staff at the Department of Health Services, uh, folks at the city of LA and the facilities themselves. We continue to work with the state and each of the facilities so that they can meet the new state requirements for both routine and surveillance testing. Of the over 30,000 people tested where we have their results, 6% tested positive for COVID-19. 78% of the people testing positive were asymptomatic or presymptomatic. And as a reminder, this is in part due to the fact that people with symptoms uh, at these facilities were already tested in advance of the mass testing. We do continue to see a decrease in the average number of daily deaths in the skilled nursing facilities. And uh, I'll take the slide if we have that. Um, so this graph does show what we call a seven-day rolling average of daily COVID-19 deaths. Uh, that's at the top line of the graph. And then it also shows the seven-day average of COVID-19 deaths among residents of skilled nursing facilities. And that's the bottom line of the graph. And as I've mentioned, we're using a seven-day average because that helps us account for the daily up and downs without having it skew our data so much. Uh, it does just show a clearer picture of death trends. Uh, and while this recent death data is being shown, I wanna make sure folks know to interpret this with caution just because we have lags in data on the reporting of deaths. So it's very helpful to look at it in terms of understanding the trend. The actual numbers uh, will you know, get adjusted over time as we have more complete reporting. But you can see that the average total daily deaths continue to decrease. Uh, and the average daily deaths among people residing in skilled nursing facilities follows the, the same trend. Um, this is likely due to the fact that at the skilled nursing facilities, we implemented uh, about five to six weeks ago, a lot more infection control practices, including masking and site-wide testing. Uh, in interpreting the graph, uh, please note that the very recent steep declines in the past few days uh, are probably uh, reflective of a lag in reporting. But even if we take this into account, uh, we do see a decline and a steady decline. In early May, when we were experiencing our highest average daily deaths, the average daily total deaths was about 45 or 46 people per day who passed away. Uh, and the average daily deaths at our skilled nursing facilities was between 25 and 26 people passing away every day. 
Uh, one month later, uh, our average total daily deaths is down to 33 or 34, and the average daily deaths at skilled nursing facilities is now down to 16 or 17. Um, unfortunately, although the good news is that the rate of death is decreasing, we still have a lot of people in our county that are passing away from COVID-19. And once again, our hearts go out to the families experiencing these losses. Um, I do want to share with you also that we have updated information on the race and ethnicity uh, of the deaths that happened among people who resided in skilled nursing facilities and the people who worked in these facilities. For the 1,413 deaths among residents where we have race and ethnicity information, 33% were white, 28% were Latino or Latinx, 22% were Asian, 14% were African American, and 1% identified with another race. We have race and ethnicity information for the 24 healthcare workers who died and worked in the skilled nursing facilities. 11 of the healthcare workers who died were Asian, 11 were also Latino, Latinx, one person who died was African American, and one person who died identified as another race. And again, our thoughts and prayers are with the family and friends of all who are mourning the passing of their loved ones. I want to also uh, provide a, a short update on the policies at skilled nursing facilities around visitation. As I noted previously, the skilled nursing facilities do need to adhere to both state and federal regulations around visitation. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, this is at the federal level, now uh, has recently issued new guidance uh, for visitation restrictions to be eased, but only after a facility has successfully reestablished limited communal dining, which can happen if a facility has 14 days with no new cases of COVID-19. Visitation of outside visitors will not be permitted until there have been an additional 14 days after communal dining was resumed, and then again, only if there are no new cases. So to summarize, uh, nursing homes can now uh, introduce limited visitation, but only after 28 days of having no new onset of COVID-19 cases. Uh, and I you know, just want to note that when visitation rules are relaxed, um, there are going to be, again, uh, some significant modifications. And it's highly unlikely that you'll see relaxing across the board at all of the SNFs, given the fact that they do need to be 28 days out with no new cases. Uh, but visitors with fever or COVID-19 symptoms will not be permitted to enter into a facility. Uh, visitors are going to need to practice distancing of at least six feet. Everyone will need to wear uh, their face masks at all times. Uh, and signs will be posted with additional rules uh, at each of the facilities and shared with any visitors. Uh, we'll be posting on our website the full guidance and the protocols for visitation at skilled nursing facilities later today. Uh, so in closing, uh, while I know so many are feeling relief that more businesses and facilities are opening and that people are going back to work, please remember that the key to continuing to move through our recovery journey successfully is that we need to look out for one another. And this means uh, practicing physical distancing all the time and wearing a cloth face covering whenever you're going to be around other people 
who are not from your household. And uh, by, not, by this I mean if you're walking down a sidewalk, if you're waiting online, uh, you need to be wearing uh, a face cloth cover, a cloth face covering. Uh, you are likely to be around other people, even if only in passing, uh, and that counts. So please uh, adhere to the directives on uh, keeping your distance and keeping your mouth and your nose covered. Uh, this is saving lives, and I thank you for all of your cooperation. And now we'll go to uh, Dr. Galley, uh, from the, uh, who's the Director of Health Services. Hi, good afternoon. I'm Dr. Christina Galley, the Director of the Department of Health Services. I know that we've all been living with COVID-19 from Los Angeles County for three months now. Our county and our country across the board has, in change, has changed the entire way that we go about living our lives in an effort to quell the spread of the virus. In that setting, I'll focus today just very briefly on the hospital bed demand model and what it's showing, but then more on some of the myths that I think are out there about how people seem to be viewing this virus and its spread. But first, the model. The model this week shows that the R, or the effective transmission rate, the number of new cases in the hospital and the overall volume of hospital hospitalized patients who are there with COVID-19 continues to remain stable. And this is still within the range of uncertainty that has been shown in prior iterations of the model. Reassuringly, the model continues to project that the number of available beds across the county, the number of ventilators continues to be adequate to be able to care for patients with COVID-19 over the next two to four weeks. There still is some potential concern about a shortage of ICU beds, but this can be taken care of within the context of individual hospitals surging uh, ICU bed capacity into other areas of their hospital. We will continue to watch this closely, and as always, the latest hospital demand bed slides are located on the DHS website in both English and Spanish. Now shifting over to some of the myths. We've all learned a lot about this virus and I want to focus just on five misperceptions that I've heard are out there and that I want to try to uh, do some, some communication about. The first misperception is that the virus is not actually continuing to spread within the community. That the number of positive cases is rather just due to the greater availabil availability of testing. This is not true. The more we test, yes, it's true, the more cases that we will identify. But an increase in the number of cases that we identify because of testing expansion does not mean that the virus is not actually also continuing to spread. Both are true. The virus is spreading, and that's seen in the R still being at or slightly greater than one, and more people are becoming infected. And also at the same time, we are identifying a greater fraction of those who are infected through the county's expansion of testing capacity. To understand the actual R, that effective transmission rate in the county, the DHS team tracks the number of new patients that are requiring hospitalization with COVID every single day. This allows us to understand what is going on with transmission across the community, and it is not then misled by an increase in identified cases that we're finding solely because of an expansion in access to testing. A second misperception is that the most important metric that we should follow to understand what the impact of the virus is on the community and the trajectory ahead is to look at the number of new cases that are reported every day. Again, this is not true. The number of new cases reported daily, while important and helpful to follow, is a very difficult number to interpret because it includes a broad swath of different types of people that were tested. It includes people with serious symptoms and those who are in 
in the hospital and need hospital-level care. It includes those with mild symptoms who will never need hospitalization. And it includes people with no symptoms at all who are being tested as part of contact tracing efforts or as part of outbreak prevention and management efforts in high-risk congregate care settings. And again, the total number of cases is expected to go up as testing is available to more people and also if the transmission of the virus is actually increasing in the community. Instead, it's more helpful to focus on the number of new patients who are requiring hospitalization every day. The county's model focuses on just this point, and it's reported daily in this model as well as by the Department of Public Health. It focuses on new hospital cases and is not then prone to being misled by increases in testing and thus the daily positive case counts. If we do see growth in the number of new patients that are requiring hospitalization in the weeks ahead, it will tell us two very important things. The first is that transmission, that R, that effective transmission rate, is increasing in the community and we need to take measures to help reduce the R and reduce the spread of the virus among us. And second, we need to support our health system and the dedicated workers that are part of it in meeting the needs of the increasing number of our sickest COVID-19 patients, as well as those who continue to need hospital-level care for conditions other than COVID-19. A third misperception is that safer at home was put in place when the spread was out of control. So now that as we're starting to move to reopening recovery, it must mean that the spread is completely under control. Safer at Home was implemented across the state and Los Angeles in mid-March when, when it was apparent that we needed a very fast and drastic way to rapidly decrease the rate of transmission of the virus. If we had not have taken this very drastic step at the time that we did in mid-March, we would have been completely overwhelmed with cases. Our hospitals and the frontline workers who care for them would not have had the capacity for, to care for all of the individuals that needed hospital-level services, and many more individuals would have died. While necessary, however, Safer at Home is a very crude measure, and we all experience that. It is not a sustainable path forward. The economic consequences of complying with the, with the order are dire for many of us. We know that poverty and economic turmoil have a devastating impact on the health of individuals and communities, and this impact is very real. Over time, poverty itself causes injury, it causes illness, it causes premature mortality and death through a variety of routes, both directly through the impact on the individual, as well as as a consequence of the cuts to safety net services that might be required as a result. Reopening is just as important for the health of our society as closing was. But given that the vast majority of those living in Los Angeles County are still susceptible to COVID-19 and the infection, we need to rely on a refined set of practices that allow us to get back to work and back to living our lives safely. A fourth misperception is that this is all an overreaction, that COVID-19 is really just like the flu, like seasonal influenza, which happens every year and doesn't warrant this type of a response. There are some similarities with the flu. Individuals who are elderly and those with chronic underlying health conditions do seem to be at increased risk of serious outcomes, just like they are with the flu. But the similarities don't actually go very far. During mid-April, the counted deaths for COVID-19 in the United States were 15,000. 
per week. During a typical peak week of seasonal influenza, the counted deaths are more like 750. This is a huge difference. The true chance of dying with COVID-19, we believe, is much higher than it is with the flu, an illness where the vast, vast majority of individuals are never diagnosed officially, so their numbers never make it into the official case count and thus the case fatality rate numbers that are put out by public health departments across the country. Not only are the numbers starkly different, so too is what we know about the virus and our experience with it. COVID-19 is named what it is because it was discovered in 2019. Every single day we are learning new things about this new virus, trying to identify its patterns, its symptoms, how it affects people and how it affects the human body. The more we learn, the more we realize that the long-term health consequences on many who survive are significant. The physical burden of this disease is staggering and will be prolonged for many. Finally, a fifth misperception is that masks and other basic, simple public health measures will not make a big difference in transmission and so don't need to be practiced diligently. This is absolutely not true. This is actually a good example of something where we've learned a lot about the virus over the past couple of months. At the beginning, the evidence on the effectiveness of masks and cloth face coverings was mixed. But over time, we've learned more about how the virus is spread, not just through respiratory droplets when people are coughing, though certainly that's the case, but also when people aren't symptomatic or pre-symptomatic and they're simply talking. We've learned that simple cloth face coverings that cover your nose and your mouth, along with keeping your distance from others, is very effective at preventing the spread of your droplets to others and thus reduces the risk of you infecting someone else unknowingly. Other basics also matter. Hand washing, staying at home when you're sick, cleaning surfaces, these measures sound very unsophisticated, but they work. And when they are all used together, they, can, they are the things that will help us keep this virus under control more than anything else. The steps the state and county are making are all about risk mitigation. We cannot completely avoid the risk, or at least the consequences of doing so would not be acceptable. But we can take action to reduce the risk. This approach is similar to other decisions and choices that we make every day in our life. Take driving, for example, something that most people in Los Angeles do on every single day of their lives. There have been structural changes to cars to minimize risk, seat belts and airbags and things of the sort. There are practices that we all learn when we learn to drive to be able to minimize the risk. We follow the speed limit, we don't drink and drive, we pay attention and we follow traffic rules. We need to think about the reopening of society and our communities in the same way. Reopening is not the same thing as going out for a joy ride. It's more similar to learning how and following practices to drive safely every time we're in a car. We need to minimize our risk by our individual actions, wearing our cloth face coverings or masks, distancing whenever possible, washing our hands. And just like the changes that enhance traffic safety overall, we need to respect and work with the structural changes in our communities that are being put in place. Think about the plexiglass that is being installed in retail stores, the redesigning of our workplaces and office spaces, the spaced out tables at restaurants, among innumerable other changes that are being discussed and implemented daily. Just as you follow the countless guidelines out there to stay safe while you drive, we urge you to follow the guidelines to stay safe when you're outside of your home 
to protect yourself and others from the further spread of COVID-19. We know that everybody wants to get back to life as we know it. And working in partnership with the Department of Public Health and the Board of Supervisors, DHS's goal is to ensure that as we reopen and get people back to work, every single person in Los Angeles County understands what they need to do to protect themselves and protect the health system's ability to care for you and your family if you need their services. I know it's a long road and I know it's longer than many of us would have predicted and certainly longer than many of us would have hoped for, but we can go on it safely if each and every one of us commits to doing the simple things that we know will make a difference. With that, I'll turn it over to Lori for questions. And ladies and gentlemen, if you wish to ask a question, please press one then zero on telephone keypad. You may withdraw your question at any time by repeating the one zero command. And if you are using a speakerphone, please pick up the handset before pressing the numbers. Once again, for questions, you may press one then zero. Our first question from the line of David Rosenfeld with LA Daily News, please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Thanks so much for uh, taking my question. I haven't had a chance to, um, to listen into these for a while. So I have a couple of questions, if you don't mind, but they are short. Sure. Uh, in terms of hospitalizations, uh, today's number is rather high from uh, the day before at 1420. I wonder if that raises any uh, concerns. Mm -hmm. um, in regards to testing, it's often said, uh, you talked about the testing capacity, but when you look at the dashboard, uh, the number of tests are actually kind of going down on average over the last several weeks. They certainly are not going um, up uh, for about the past six weeks. So I wonder uh, how I should interpret that. And then lastly, uh, as far as reopenings, uh, can you give any hint on whether nail salons, tattoo parlors, and massage uh, places will be able to open on Friday? That's all I have. Thank right. you. I'll, I'll turn it over to Dr. Ferrer. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Um, and uh, yes, I mean, we, we've had, we've been hovering on the hospitalization uh, daily rates of somewhere between uh, 1450 and 1350. We did drop uh, slightly uh, just for one day below 1300 people being in the hospital. But we've actually stayed fairly steady uh, between 1350 and, and 1450. Today was up, yesterday I think was uh, you know, particularly low. We do again like to look at this over longer periods of time, but we wanna share the data every day. Uh, if we were to continue to see it go back up, uh, obviously uh, we would have concerns and we'd be working closely with Dr. Galley. Uh, but we've stayed below uh, 1,500 people being in the hospital really for over a month. Uh, and as you remember earlier, we averaged somewhere between 1,700 and 1,900 people uh, being in the hospital. And even when uh, the hospital rates were higher, you know, our hospital system is extraordinarily uh, robust and uh, we didn't need to ever really go to any surge capacity here, which is what we're all trying to avoid. In terms of the numbers on testing, um, I, you know, I just need to uh, remind us all uh, that the testing results lag from when people are getting tested. And unfortunately, uh, there still can be a significant lag time with some of the uh, reports we get. So as you notice, uh, particularly this last week, almost uh, at least three days this last week, I've reported extraordinarily high numbers because we're getting dumps of uh, lab reports that were not submitted to us in a timely way. And it makes it really hard to understand 
exactly what the relationship is uh, between sort of the people getting tested and what we should really be paying attention to. I think Dr. Galley said it best when she said, you know, that positivity rate means a lot to us because uh, the numbers of people, uh, the numbers of people who are actually positive, that case rate, without understanding what percent of people getting tested are positive, uh, is a little bit hard to interpret. And we've stayed at uh, 8% overall as a cumulative rate, and we're below 7% still when you look at rolling seven-day averages. And in terms of the last question, uh, yeah, we are working very closely with the board uh, to assess the options uh, on the reopening. We hope that we'll be able to share more information uh, tomorrow, as early as tomorrow perhaps, um, about sort of where we continue and how we continue on our recovery journey. I do want to say, uh, you know, as, as we're working with all of the different sectors, you know, first, thanks so much for all the sectors who provided us with lots of good information about how to make sure that we could reopen with as much safety as possible. But second is there is an obligation on every business that's open at this point to really adhere to the guidance and the, the really protocols, the directives that are out there about how to make sure that uh, your facility offers as much safety as possible to both your workers, uh, to your customers, and to residents. So we ask that as we continue on the recovery journey, we do so with as much thoughtfulness as possible. And we'll take the next question. We'll go to John Atzik with the Associated Press. Please go ahead. Uh, doctor, I'm uh, interested in knowing if there's any update on transmissions uh, linked to the protests, what the numbers would be, and whether it, it's been possible to contact trace uh, to protest uh, situations. It's always a, a great question, and I know there's a lot of interest in what, sort of what might be the impact of having uh, many thousands of people that were out uh, protesting and exercising their First Amendment rights and standing against racism. Uh, unfortunately, it's going to take us a while to sort out uh, what we do know. You know, as I've noted before, when people test and they're positive, our team does contact them, and we do do an interview, and we do try to find out who their close contacts are. I do want to say that, uh, you know, this is, uh, it's, very, it's very difficult with any crowd situation for us to actually know whether or not you had an exposure in that crowd or somewhere else, and how to, in fact, notify people uh, who may not uh, be, uh, may not have a name or a number associated with them, which is why we issued other guidance around how people should take care of themselves if they were, in fact, uh, participating in a protest and they were near people who were not wearing their cloth face coverings and they weren't able to keep their distance. It's because the contact tracing will get extraordinarily hard in those crowded situations. But as of right now, we don't have any outbreaks associated uh, with protesters. And we'll definitely keep people posted uh, if we see that there's a reason for us to be notifying the public. But we'll take the next question. We'll go to Phil Schumann with Fox 11. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks. Um, real quick, you gave some average daily death numbers for, I believe, March 45 and April 33, but I want to know if you had May and, and June. And then overall, are we getting better, worse, staying the same? It's, and what metric is the key? Is it hospitalization? I mean, give us your overall sense, because it's easy to get overwhelmed by all these numbers. I guess the question for the public is, are things getting better, getting worse, or staying the same? 
Yeah, thanks so much. And, and I think that's a great question, and there are a lot of numbers. Um, I, I want to just answer in terms of the death rate number. Uh, we did talk about the fact that uh, the average daily death uh, number in early May uh, was 45 to 46 people a day, and the average daily death number for early June, which, you know, we're just in now, uh, has been 33 to 34 people. And so, yes, and that's why I put up the trend line, uh, we have made a, a steady improvement in the decline of, of daily deaths that we've experienced. We've also made a steady improvement in the decline in the number of people who are hospitalized on any given day. And we've stayed steady on our positivity rate at about 8%. Uh, we do have a recovery dashboard up on our website. I would urge people to go look at it because it only has a few metrics, but they're the metrics that we are tracking to make sure that as we go through our recovery, we're doing a good job of still slowing the spread. We'll take one more question. And that will be from Jackie Fortier with KPCC. Please go ahead. Hi. Uh, we're getting reports that people are not able to make testing appointments on the website if they don't have symptoms. I just tried and it wouldn't let me. The website says if you don't have symptoms, there are no appointments available. Um, Dr. Ferrer, if you could please explain uh, why this is happening and how long you expect it to continue. And then, of course, what's your advice for people who don't have symptoms but who think they've been exposed and, and can't make an appointment to get tested right now? Yeah, hi, this is Dr. Galley. Uh, I'll take that question. So the website, uh, we are making adjustments to the slot allocation. Those should be in effect today because there's certain amount of slots that are allocated to people with symptoms and then certain for people without symptoms. So we'll make continued adjustments. There are uh, numerous slots that are available in all of the testing sites as well as a high no-show rate. So again, I would encourage people to make their appointment if they've had one so that we can preserve access for everybody. Um, on the second part, of your question, uh, we will, as I've mentioned before, be adjusting the criteria um, and, again, the slot allocation in the uh, community-based testing access to align with the DPH criteria for who needs to be tested. This does prioritize, uh, first and foremost, individuals with symptoms. Um, and then secondly, for among asymptomatic individuals, it prioritizes two specific populations. One is the close contacts of individuals who um, have been identified through contact tracing efforts, or if you know that you're a close contact as defined by public health guidelines, uh, then the recommendation is that you would be tested. Um, and then secondly, if you live or work in a high-risk congregate care setting, that you would need to be tested as well. So we'll be aligning that slot allocation on the website accordingly. Um, with that, in reference to the last part of your question, um, if you do have an exposure, uh, you do need to quarantine for the full 14 days, regardless of whether or not you get tested. So while the public health recommendation is that if you're a known close contact, you get tested just so they can identify whether or not you might, in fact, be an index case in that particular chain of transmission, you still need to quarantine for the full 14 days. So the result of your test doesn't actually make a difference in terms of your need to quarantine. We'll take the next, oh, now we'll shift to remarks in Spanish. Thanks. Buenas tardes. Soy la supervisora Hilda Solís, representando el condado de Los Ángeles. Gracias hoy día para acompañarnos. En las últimas semanas, hemos visto un lucha por la justicia con protestas en las calles. Necesitamos un cambio porque las vidas africanoamericanas son importantes y también de las personas de color.
Yo sé que estos cambios son necesarios gracias a los jóvenes que han organizado estas protestas. Por lo que yo he visto, muchos están usando um, mascarillas y tapabocas. Pero por favor, mantengan seis pies de distancia en las demás cuando están afuera, lavando sus manos también. Tenemos que tener mucho cuidado con este virus porque todavía está cerca de nosotros. Nuestras comunidades de color, quienes están luchando por la justicia, son los más comunidades impactados en este momento. El virus sigue impactando comunidades vulnerables. Por eso el condado está trabajando junto con el Banco Regional de Comidas y con el grupo que se llama CLA. Nuestros, nosotros vamos a ofrecer comida y muchos alimentos a nuestros residentes. También junto con el gobierno federal y el estado, nosotros hemos lanzado una nueva programa que se llama Gran Platos Entregados. Este programa ofrece tres comidas al día para cada persona de tercera edad y también ayuda a levantar la economía en ofreciendo trabajos a los restaurantes locales. Para calificar, la persona tiene que llenar una aplicación y tiene que cumplir ciertos requisitos. No deben de tener miedo porque ninguna persona le van a preguntar de sus estados migratoria. Con este programa ya hemos regalado más que 140 mil platillos y más que 2 mil personas de la tercera edad están participando. Para más información de parte de este programa, por favor, llama 211. También les quiero recordar que hoy es el Día de Acción del Census. Para celebrar este día, muchas ciudades están con nosotros en el condado y yendo en sus carillos en unos desfiles para animar y dar esta información a todos los uh, residentes. Esto nos va a ayudar a recibir fondos para servicios críticos en este momento. Todos cuentan, por favor, responden con el censo. En, glucos, en uh, conclusión, quiero presentar Jacqueline Valencia del Departamento de Salud Pública. Gracias. Buenas tardes. Para actualizarlos, nos da tristeza informar que 34 personas adicionales han fallecido por causas de COVID-19. Esto eleva el número total de muertes a 2,991. Para las 2,779 personas que fallecieron donde se identificó la raza etnicidad, 42% son latinos, el 29% son blancos, el 17% son asiáticos, el 11% son afroamericanos, menos de un por ciento son nativos de Hawái o de las islas del Pacífico y un por ciento se identifica con otra raza etnicidad. El 93% de las personas que murieron por causas de COVID-19 tenían condiciones de salud delicadas. Este número se ha mantenido constante durante la pandemia. Como recordatorio, eh, las personas mayores y también para aquellas que sufren de condiciones delicadas de salud, queremos informarles que estas personas corren un mayor riesgo de enfermedad grave y de muerte por COVID-19. Por lo que es muy importante que estas personas sigan en casa tanto como sea posible, eviten el contacto cercano con otras personas y llame a su médico de inmediato si tiene síntomas leves. 
Si necesita un médico, llame al 211 y le darán información sobre los proveedores de salud en su comunidad. Hoy estamos reportando 2,129 casos nuevos. Una parte de este gran aumento se debe a una acumulación de aproximadamente 600 casos reportados por un laboratorio. Como recordatorio para los laboratorios, eh, es tan importante que informe los resultados de las pruebas al Departamento de Salud Pública lo más pronto posible. Esto eleva, eleva el número total de personas que dieron positivo para COVID-19 en el condado de Los Ángeles a 77,189. Estamos reportando 520 casos confirmados entre personas sin hogar. Actualmente hay 1,420 personas que han dado resultados eh, positivos de COVID-19 que están eh, hospitalizados. El 28% de estas personas están en la unidad de cuidados intensivos y el 22% de estas personas están en ventiladores. Hemos investigado un total de 642 entornos de congregación residencial y no residenciales, con al menos un caso confirmado o de sospecha de ser COVID-19. El número total de casos confirmados en entornos institu institucionales es de 16,921 y esto incluye 10,838 residentes y 6,083 empleados. Esto es el 22% de todos los casos. También nos da tristeza informarles que 1,576 personas que vivían en entornos institucionales han fallecido por causas de COVID-19. 1,437, o sea, 91% de las personas que vivían en entornos institucionales que fallecieron eh, residían en centros de enfermería especializada. Estamos reportando 1,046 casos confirmados en algún momento en las instalaciones de la cárcel. 774 entre personas encarceladas reportadas por el Departamento del Aguacil y 272 empleados. Hay 178 casos en las prisiones estatales y 759 casos en las prisiones federales. Hay también 33 casos en las instalaciones juveniles. El Departamento del Aguacil reporta que entre su personal hay 343 casos positivos, 264 empleados en cuarentena y 1,866 empleados han regresado a trabajar. El Departamento de Bomberos informa que 599 miembros de uh, su personal han sido evaluados para COVID-19. 36 miembros um, del personal han dado resultados positivos. 12 están aislados en casa. 31 han regresado al trabajo y 5 están enfermos en casa. Más de 853 mil resultados de la prueba de COVID-19 han sido reportados al Departamento de Salud Pública y el 8% de las personas dieron resultados positivos. Hay citas disponibles en los sitios de prueba regionales y pueden encontrar, uh, puede hacer una cita en línea en covid19.lacounty.gov diagonal testing. Hoy también tenemos una actualización sobre el trabajo que se realiza en los centros de enfermería especializada. 
hemos terminado haciendo las pruebas de todos los residentes y el personal en las 300, 315 instalaciones de enfermería especializada en el condado de Los Ángeles, sin incluir las que están en Long Beach y Pasadena. Esto incluye instalaciones que han tenido brotes, e igual que otras que no han tenido brotes. Queremos agradecer nuevamente a nuestros socios en este trabajo, el Departamento de Servicios de Salud, la Ciudad de Los Ángeles um, y las propias uh, instalaciones. De las más de 30 mil, perdón, eh, de las más de 30 mil personal que fueron dadas pruebas de COVID-19 en estas instalaciones, el 6% dieron resultados positivos. El 78% de las personas no tenían síntomas. Continuamos viendo una reducción en el número promedio de fallecimientos diarios en hogares de ancianos calificados. And we could put up the slide. Este gráfico muestra el promedio de siete días de fallecimientos diarios de COVID-19. La línea de arriba uh, es el promedio de siete días de muertes de COVID-19 uh, entre los residentes de centros de enfermería especializada. Y la línea de abajo, eh, perdón, la línea de abajo es la muerte, son las muertes y la línea de arriba son los casos. Utilizamos un promedio de siete días para evitar que los altibajos diarios impacten la información. Esto muestra una imagen más clara de los fallecimientos a través del tiempo. Si muestran datos recientes de fallecimientos, uh, deben interpretarse con precaución debido a los retrasos en el informe de datos. Como pueden observar, el promedio de fallecimientos diarios totales continúa disminuyendo. Este, esta reducción es un reflejo directo de los cierres en todo el condado y el arduo trabajo que hizo nuestra comunidad para seguir la orden más seguros en casa. El promedio de fallecimientos diarios entre las personas que residen en centros de enfermería especializada sigue esta misma tendencia y continúa uh, disminuyendo. Al interpretar este gráfico, uh, es importante tener en cuenta que las recientes reducciones en los últimos días pueden deberse en parte a un retraso en la presentación de informes. Pero incluso teniendo en cuenta esto, el total de fallecimiento y las muertes en centros de enfermería especializada están disminuyendo. A principios de mayo, cuando estábamos experimentando fallecimientos diarios con un promedio más alto, eh, nuestro promedio de muertes totales diarias eran de 45 o 46. Y el promedio de los fallecimientos diarios en centros de enfermería especializada eran de 25 o 26. Un mes después, a principios de junio, eh, nuestro promedio de fallecimientos diarios eran 33 o 34. Y nuestro promedio de fallecimientos diarios en centros de enfermería especializada eran de 16 o 17. Estamos observando, observando estos números de cerca a medida que pasa el tiempo. También queremos compartir con ustedes información actualizada, actualizada sobre la raza y el origen étnico de, las, uh, de los fallecimientos entre personas que residían en centros de enfermería especializada y personas que trabajaban en estos sitios. Para las 1,413 fallecimientos entre los residentes, para los cuales tenemos datos de raza y etnicidad, el 33% eran blancos, 
el 28% eran latinos, el 22% eran asiáticos, el 14% eran afroamericanos y el 1% se identificaba con otra raza. Tenemos información sobre raza y etnicidad para un total de 24 profesionales de salud quienes fallecieron y trabajaban en centros de enfermería especializada. 11 eran asiáticos, uh, 11 eran latinos, una persona uh, era afroamericano y una persona se identificaba con otra raza. También queremos darle una actualización sobre las directivas en los centros de enfermería especializada en entorno a las visitas. Los centros de servicios de Medicare y Medicaid ahora permiten que se alivien las restricciones de visitas, pero solo después de que una instalación haya restablecido limitadamente el comer entre grupos o comidas comunales, le dicen. Lo que puede suceder si una instalación tiene 14 días sin nuevos casos de COVID-19. Uh, se permitirán las visitas 14 días después uh, de que se hayan restablecido las, com las comidas comunales, siempre que no haya nuevos casos. Eso significa que las visitas limitadas pueden comenzar después de que hayan pasado 28 días sin ningún caso nuevo de COVID-19. Es muy importante que las reglas de visitas se relajen de manera lenta y cautelosa y esto probablemente significa que no todos los centros de enfermería especializada volverán a abrir al mismo tiempo. Los visitantes con fiebre o con síntomas de COVID-19 no podrán entrar a una instalación. Los visitantes uh, van a tener que practicar distancia física de al menos seis pies y todos los visitantes y residentes deberán usar una cubierta de tela de, para la cara en todo momento. Se, colocará, se van a colocar rótulos en las instalaciones y se van a compartir las reglas con los visitantes. Y la duración de las visitas se va a limitar a una hora o menos. Hoy publicaremos en nuestro sitio web la guía completa y las directivas para las visitas a centros de enfermería especializada. Uh, para terminar, muchos sienten alivio de que abran más negocios e instalaciones y que las personas puedan volver a regresar a sus trabajos. Pero hay que acordar que es tan importante uh, mientras avanzamos. El, nuestro éxito depende en si nosotros podemos seguir las, las reglas y las directrices que ha, ha emitido el Departamento de Salud Pública. Uh, and so now we'll go ahead and move to remarks in Armenian. Բարյոր բոլորին, շնորակալ եմ վերահսկիչ մարմինների ողջ խորորդին, ներկա երավիճակի վերաբերալ տեղեկությունները հետևյալն են, այսուր ծավով հայտնում ենք եվս 34 մահվան մասին, այս մարդկանցից 23-ը 65 Սանյերեկը 793-ը 43-ը 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 43
Այսօր մենք հայտնում ենք 2129-ը նոր դեպքերի մասին, և սա բերում է լոս անջելո շրջանի դրական դեպքերի ընդհանուրդիվը 77,189-ի։ Այս դեպքերը ներարում են լոնգ բիչ կաղաքում մեր գործընկերների կողմից գրանցված 2712 դեպքեր, իսկ պասետենա կաղաքի կողմից գրանցված 1058 դեպքեր, որոնք ունեն անկաղ առողջապահության բաժամունքներ։ Մենք հայտնում ենք 520 պատշաչ կերպով մեկուսացված են, իսկ սերտ կապերը կարանդինացված են։ Ներկայումս հոսպիտալացվել են 1420 մարդ, որոնցից 28 տոքոսը գտնվում են ինտենսիվ խնամքի բաժամունքում, իսկ 22 տոքոսը միացված են շնչարական Ինստիտությոնալ միջավայրում հաստատված ընդհանուր դեպքերի թիվը 16,921 է, ներայրյալ անձնակազմը և բնայքիչները։ Այս դեպքերից բնայքիչները կազում են 10,838, իսկ անձնակազմը 683։ Մենք զեկուցում ենք հաս 774 դատապարծյալ և 272 աշխատող, 178 դեպք նահանգային բանտերում, 128 բանտարկյալ և 50 անձնակազ։ 759 դեպք վեդերալ բանտերում, 744 բանտարկյալ և 15 աշխատող, 33 աշխատակազմի դեպք անչապահասների հաստատություններում։ Մենք տեղադրում ենք հաստատված դեպքերի և մահվանդիվը մեր կայքում աշխատողներին, բնակիչներին և հարազատներին տեղեկացնելուց հետո։ Եվ լոս անջելոր շրջանի արձանագրված բոլոր նոր դեպքերի զեկույցը Ես ուզում եմ կաջալերել ձեզ տեստավորվել, եթե ունեք աղթանիշներ։ Տարածաշրջանային տեստավորման վայրերում ժամադրության համար կարող է կայցելել covid19.elekhani.gov/testing։ Այցելություն։ Ես նաև ուզում եմ ձեզ թարմացնել հմուտ փորձառու բուշ հիմնարկներում կատարվող քաղաքականության մասին այցի շուրջը։ Մեդիքերի եւ մեդիքեյթի ծառայությունների կենտրոնները այժմ թույլ են տալիս թուլացնել և թեթևացնել այցի սահմանափակումները և հաստատությունը հաջողությամբ կարող է վերաբացվել, սահմանափակ կոմունալ ճաշեր մատուցել, եթե հաստատությունը ունի 14 օր առանց COVID-19 նոր տեպքերի։ Այցելությունը թուլատրում է կոմունալ ճաշը վերասկս� Սահմանապակ այցը կարող է սկսվել 28 օրից առանց կովիտ 19 նոր դեպքերի։ Շատ կարևոր է, որ այցի կանոնները թեթևատնան դանդաղ և զգուշ ձևով։ Եվ դա համանաբար նշանակում է, որ ոչ բոլոր հաստատությունները Այցելուներից կպահանջվի արնվազը վեց ոտնաչավ վիզիկական հրավորություն վարել 
եւ բոլոր այցելուները եւ բնակիչները պետք է ցանկացած ժամանակահատվածում կրեն ոչ բժշկական դեմքի դիմակներ։ Պաստառները տեղադրվելու են հաստատություններում եւ այցելուներին տեղեկացնելու են այցելության կանոնները։ Եվ այցերի երկարատևությունը կսահմանափակվի 1 ժամով կամ ավելի քիչ։ Այսօր մենք մեր կայքում տեղադրելու ենք լարժեք ուղեցույցներ եւ արձանագրություններ հմուտ բուժքույրական հաստատություններում այցի վերաբերյալ։ Վերջում շատերը զգում են եւ թեթևությունը, որը ավելի շատ ձեռնարկություններ եւ տարածքներ են բացում եւ մարդիկ վերադառնում են աշխատանքի։ Բայց հիշեք, որ մեր վերականգնման ճանապարը հաջողությամբ անցնելու բանալին այն է, որ հոգանք մի միանց։ Եվ սա նշանակում է հնարավորինս ֆիզիկական հերավորություն վարել եւ կտորե դիմակ հակնել։ Երբ դուք այլ մարդկանց շրջապատում եք, ովքեր ձեր ընտանիքի անդամներ չեն։ Շնորհակալություն։ Thank you. This concludes the press conference. This episode of LA Public Health was produced by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. Our department is nationally accredited by the Public Health Accreditation Board and is committed to protecting and improving the health of over 10 million residents in Los Angeles County. For more information about DPH programs and services, visit publichealth.lacounty.gov and follow us on social media at LA Public Health. My name is Steve Baldwin and you've been listening to the LA Public Health podcast. <laughs>